and good morning, and welcome to The Skinny. I'm your co-host, Mitch Perry, reporter for the Florida Phoenix, joined by my colleague, Ray Roa from Creative Loafing. Hello. Hello. Our other partner, Ben Montgomery with Axios Tampa Bay, is under the weather. He'll be back next weekend. Next week, I should say. Uh, get better, Ben. Uh, we look forward to getting you back with us next week. So today, our third show back here on WMNF on The Skinny. Thank you so much for tuning in right now. I really want to get into presidential politics today, and why not? Yesterday, the POTUS, Joe Biden, was just a few miles away from the radio station here, making an appearance at the University of Tampa less than 48 hours after the State of the Union address. So we'll talk about Joe Biden, but first, let's talk about Walt Disney. While some of the biggest news about Disney has been the Florida legislature following through with their plan to dismantle the special tax district that oversees Walt Disney World, which comes after the entertainment giant's autonomy, uh, autonomy after Disney officials spoke out critically on education law last year. But we're not going to get into that right now. That bill, by the way, is going to be passed by the Senate later today. Uh, it went through the House. They're not completely getting rid of the Reedy Creek uh, imp- Improvement District, but uh, Ron DeSantis is going to be controlling that, basically. But we'll get into that later. But right now, we're going to talk about something that maybe hasn't made so much news over here in the Tampa Bay area. The employees at Disney World were last Friday night more than 14,000 of those workers in Orlando overwhelmingly rejected Disney's quote-unquote best offer of a $1 pay raise for those workers. And joining us right now to talk about this issue is the reporter who was covering that for the Orlando Weekly, McKenna Schuer. McKenna, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Great to have you here with us. And of course, if that name sounds familiar to you, that's of course the same McKenna Schuler who used to work here at WMNF and also with for you, Ray, at Creative Loafing. Yeah, uh, McKenna came on uh, two years ago and made a huge splash right away. And it's really cool to see her uh, land in Orlando where labor is king in, in news, really. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we wanted to talk to you about, uh, McKenna. So you reported last Saturday more than 14,000 workers voted on Thursday and Friday to reject Disney's offer of just a $1 pay raise. So let's talk about who these workers are. Uh, what what do they do there and, and how much are they making right now, McKenna? Yeah, so um, believe it or not, about 45,000 workers at Disney World are unionized with a coalition of six labor unions, uh, collectively known as the Service Trades Council Union. There's a similar coalition that represents workers at Disneyland on the West Coast. And um, this is a wide range of workers from park greeters to attractions, food service, costuming, bus drivers, character performers, housekeeping, and more. Um, the Walt Disney Company is the region's largest employer here in Central Florida. And um, while they've had some losses, I think, from certain divisions of the company in the past year or so, the Parks Division, which these workers belong to, is one of the most profitable. Um, and in 2018, they actually got a lot of headlines for successfully negotiating a $15 minimum wage just ahead of everybody else, really, Um by 2021, that was fully effective. But um, in in August, when contract negotiations began for a new contract with Disney, the unions had been surveying and talking to workers, and $15 minimum is just not enough for people in Central Florida anymore with just the cost of living and inflationary pressures. Um, so there's a lot of workers that, you know, aren't making 15, they're making above that, but there are still a lot that are. Um, and so the unions have been pushing for an $18 minimum wage minimum the first year of their contract, which actually was very recently won by hospitality workers 
at the Orange County Convention Center here in Orlando. Um, they won a, an $18 minimum wage up from $13 this year, which is huge for hundreds of workers. It didn't get as many headlines as Disney because it's just a, a much smaller you know, group right. of workers and it's not Disney, but it was a huge win for them. Um, yeah. Yeah. raising the standard. Again, we're speaking with McKenna Schuler from the Orlando Weekly talking about Disney workers and their uh, bid for higher pay. Um, now, I think you wrote that the culinary staff there, they would have received a $3 raise. Is that true? Right. Yeah, so there's some workers um, under Disney Disney's offer that would have received that $3 um, pay raise that the unions had been fighting for, but it wasn't all workers. And so the unions uh, collectively um, urged all union members to vote no on Disney's offer because they want everybody to be able to get that raise. Now, you reported in your story that a spokesperson for Disney World said, quote, our strong offer provides more than 30,000 cast members a nearly 10% on average raise immediately, as well as retroactive increased pay in their paychecks. And we are disappointed that those increases are now delayed. Um, is, that, is that accurate? I don't know because I, um, I've heard conflicting information because I you know, saw from union, specifically one union president, Paul Cox, who um, represents IATSE workers at Disney. So that's like staging, costuming, um, that kind of character performers, that kind of stuff. Um, he was sort of um, pushing back against that figure on Twitter, just um, providing some numbers on that. So um, the unions just, it, it, there's been some biting heads for sure. And I had, <laughs> I had a difficult time actually getting in touch with the spokesperson even at all. I emailed them for comment Friday night when I reported on this. It was like 9 p.m. or something. I get an auto reply and then, um, I call the number that's listed and I get somebody who's not very happy to talk to me <laughs> because it's the wrong person. Um, <laughs> so I got an email finally the next day where they apologized and gave me a statement. But, um, yeah, it, it just seems the, the big, the large sentiment, I think, is just the idea that it's a strong offer from Disney just does not sit well with people at all because they see the amount of money that Disney is making and they see their coworkers who are live, living, sleeping in their cars, um, skipping meals to be able to afford food for their family, um, just really struggling, not even just to live in Orlando, but even on the outskirts now. Well, yeah, because let's talk about how much money Disney, Disney Parks Division brings in. Uh, I believe it's reported $28 billion in revenue revenue last year with an operating profit of $12 billion. So this uh, offer of $1 does seem a bit measly. Yeah. I mean, especially, sorry, Ray. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, especially when um, Disney disclosed in securities filings that it's, um, it's former CEO uh, Bob Chapek who was fired in the fall, received a $20 million severance package, um, which, you know... <laughs> prompted some outrage or just some confusion that, you know, okay, we can't, we can only offer you a $1 pay raise, but we can give our former CEO who we fired $20 million in severance. Um, and then another ousted executive received $10 million um, for roughly three months of work. Um, so yeah, there's some confusion and frustration for sure among workers. I think confusion is, is kind, you know, heartbreak. 
uh, <laughs> outrage yeah. maybe. Um, you're the one that's over there and you kind of alluded to it. You have people skipping meals, sleeping in their cars, and I think you've been living in Orlando for the better part of a month now. So I, I was going to ask you about, you know, the living conditions of some of these workers. And, you know, Orlando is a municipality, a county, Orange County there that passed rent control recently, but then saw it preempted more or less um, after they voted for it. What's been the response from uh, local legislators there as far as putting pressure on Disney or supporting these workers? Because some will point to, you know, legislation moving through Tallahassee this year, Live Local, I think is what it's called, Mitch. I, the I can't remember. Act, the Live Live Local Act, I think. Or something yes. like that. You know, Act, basically yeah. it amounts to, hey, affordable we're, housing we're working on it, right? Like we're working on affordable housing, but what about right now? What's the sentiment from policymakers in Orlando about helping these workers? Yeah, so I've um, I've tuned into a couple like local municipal meetings, and I think there is a lot of frustration about the um, the aftermath of that Orange County vote on rent control or rent stabilization, is how people like right. to sort of describe it. Um, there is some frustration among local leaders, I think, and then especially now with this new um, Live Local Act um, being proposed in the state legislature. I was tuning into one of the committee meetings about that the other day, and. Um, one legislator who I don't believe that actually is local, um, but I don't, I don't know if there were any local legislators in that meeting, um, asked like specifically, what are we supposed to tell these Orange County voters um, about this preemption of rent control when they just overwhelmingly, yeah. nearly 60% of voters said yes. Um, and the Republican sponsor of the bill said, we tell them help is on the way, but rent control is not it. Correct. Which is just, yeah. I, which is just a punch in the gut. Seeing what's going on around here, hearing from people, and and that includes both residents and local leaders who are just really frustrated. And yeah. Yeah, again, if you're tuning in right now, you're listening to The Skinny here on WMNF. We're speaking with McKenna Schuler. She's a reporter for the Orlando Weekly, formerly of Creative Loafing, and here at WMNF, reporting about the situation with Disney workers trying to get more money, frankly. Uh, and that, so where are we? Oh, by the way, we, we got uh, somebody to call right in here, and you can send us a note if you'd like right now at dj at wmnf.org. Uh, Bubba writes in, says McKenna is awesome and says Disney should move more employees out of Florida because of wrong to say this is war of terror on the company. Well, you know, as we know, Disney has, is based in Southern California and Orlando um, and that's not going to happen probably. But um, but what uh, yeah, it's a whole different story. I guess we, we want to and we don't want to go into Reedy Creek and all that um, per se. But uh, I, I guess what's the state the, the, the issue here at hand, McKenna? What, what's next for these workers here after rejecting this contract or this, yeah, this proposal? So the next step is going back to the bargaining table, and that's actually going to happen next week on the 14th and 15th, I believe. So um, the unions are just going to be continue. They're going to continue to fight for what they've been fighting for since August, which includes like wages is the um, primary thing, because if you can't afford to eat, if you can't afford to live, I mean, so that is the primary thing. But one thing also, like if I have the time really quick, just to sort of plug this, one thing that hasn't gotten as much attention actually, um, I mean, there's things like health insurance that are trying to be addressed, but also there's an issue that's exclusive really to one of the unions involved in that coalition of unions at Disney World, and that's the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, IOTSE. 
And within their local, which represents just about 2,000 workers at Disney World, their biggest issue actually, according to the local's president who I spoke to earlier this week, is gender wage disparities. Um, for instance, within uh, their unit of workers, stage technicians, typically more male-dominated field, um, they make more than costuming and sewing specialists, um, which is more female-dominated and a lot of lesbian, gay, trans, queer workers as well. And that's an industry-wide issue that's not exclusive to Disney. But according to the locals president, Disney has refused to acknowledge the disparities there, not just in Orlando, but also on the West Coast as well. Because they can say, oh, we don't pay women less than men. But if you look at the pay for those different job classifications, it's pretty clear what's going on. So in addition to inflationary pressures and just insufficient wages in general, that's a huge issue Um for yeah. granted a fraction of the workers who are covered by that contract. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, I think we'll leave it there uh, right now. McKenna Schuler again, from the Orlando Weekly on this. And, of course, McKenna is just one of the great reporters covering the labor beat in Florida overall. So you should definitely read her stories on the Orlando Weekly. McKenna, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Skinny. Yeah, thanks, thank McKenna. You so much Good for, to hear your voice Thanks again. so much for letting me uh, join. I really appreciate it. Well, welcome back to MNF. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, take care. All right, that's McKenna Schuer, and uh, yeah, really great reporting there. In fact, I was following her last Friday night uh, on Twitter because she was there covering the vote. Ninety-six percent. I mean, nobody wanted this. The, the workers they totally outright rejected that. Um, so before we go in right now, it's eleven nineteen. If you're just tuning in right now, a programming note. So uh, the station, by the way, it's going to start uh, fundraising in a couple of weeks. Hey, we just got on here. We're going to be asking for money here. Yes, yeah, by the way, I want to tease that though by saying uh, Ray on February twenty fourth two weeks from today, we're also going to be having a, a debate here in the middle of the show of the hottest race in the ballot here in Tampa, the District 4 South Tampa City Council race between incumbent Bill Carlson and challenger Blake Casper. They both agree to show up, so we're looking forward to that. That's going to be part of the show on uh, February 24th, so you want to tune in for that. And we're also going to be asking for financial contributions in between there uh, beginning in the end of the for show. Us, not the candidates. Yes, exactly. They, they can do their own they can fundraising. Do that on their own. So, um, okay, so we're going to segue now. Uh, and again, thanks so much for McKenna Shore for uh, filling us in on what's going on over there in Orlando. Okay, let's talk about Joe Biden, okay? And uh, one, by the way, let's tell the listeners right now, they can certainly call in in the next few minutes here, 813-239-9663. So Ray, you, both, you and I were both there at the University of Tampa yesterday for President Biden uh, giving a speech. And so, you know, came right up to the State of the Union. Um, your, your thoughts of the day? Um, it was interesting. It's a long day. Obviously, uh, we didn't get to cover the landing at the airport or the arrival of the motorcade, but uh, they got us in there uh, pretty early. It was interesting to get there. I think I was the first person in there with Dave. Somehow we got in line there. And uh, apologies to the Secret Service guy who uh, accidentally touched my toothbrush in my backpack. But, uh, oh, that's uh, great. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it was funny when we walked in, Mitch, on the chairs was that proposal. It was like, I mean, he called it propaganda, I suppose, in the speech, but uh, Senator Rick Scott's 12 point plan to rescue America. And it was interesting. Oh, there you go. Mitch has got yeah, his hand here yeah, if, if you're in the studio. The, yeah, you can't uh, see this, folks. But yeah, the 12-point plan to rescue America. And, and uh, Joe Biden's using Rick Scott as a pinata these days. It's almost like 
you know, and Rick Scott, by the way, who's going wild on Twitter and yeah. on cable TV the last three days, he's in um, Sun City Center this morning, actually, speaking to seniors, uh, trying to say, I'm not getting rid of your Social Security or Medicare. You know, Rick Scott is on the ballot, we should say, next year. And I don't know if you saw this, but kind of inside baseball in Washington, but this is kind of a story. So uh, Mitch McConnell, who's no fan of uh, Rick Scott, the Senate Majority Leader, didn't like Rick coming up with this plan last year, didn't really think helped out the party, who, by the way, Rick Scott had a job last year to help Republicans win the Senate back, and it didn't happen. So um, Mitch McConnell told a radio station yesterday in Kentucky, uh, well, Rick Scott's running for re-election, and uh, that might be a tough re-election for him. And I think Democrats woke up going, oh, oh, it is maybe? Because, like, we haven't heard one Democrat, I know it's early, who maybe is even being floated as a, guy, as a person, candidate, man or woman who could possibly beat him. Not that, you know, it's a year and a half, it was like 10 years in, you know, real time for politics. But it's, but Biden, you know, he's, he's making the most of this whole thing with Rick Scott's plan. It was, you bring up Mitch McConnell. It was interesting to watch him on Tuesday night. Uh, he obviously has a very distinct look, but I kind of looked at him as like, man, and he, in, his, in my mind, he's like this Republican who's becoming somewhat sympathetic to Democrats in this extreme or follies or, or fumbles from people like Rick Scott. And, and to your point, Scott's in the area. He didn't back down from the sunset no, statement no. at all. I mean, if anything, well, he's doubled down on it. Yeah, but he has said, and we should say this, okay, and this is, I was looking this up, and, and um, a couple things here about Social Security, Medicare. One thing is true is that it does need reform, right? Because um, I went on the Social Security uh, website. Oh, I got Okay. Um, this is going back to last year. The Social Security and Medicare trustees released their annual reports on the state of the trust funds. The trustees find, find that Medicare's hospital insurance trust fund will be insolvent by 2028. Social Security's old age and survivor's insurance trust fund will run out of reserves by 2034. Uh, but, okay, but the thing is, when we hear insolvency, it does not mean it's all going away. That's the key phrase here. Insolvency does not mean Social Security will be completely broken, unable, unable to pay benefits. It means they will be able to pay about 80% of scheduled benefits. Um, so, you know, we don't want when folks who are listening right now who are going to be getting up in those, you know, in a few years and qualifying for that, they don't want 80%, obviously want 100%. Yeah. So there's going to be, have to be some, some, you know, things done to tinker with that. But, um, uh, but anyway, you know, that's a whole different story. We can get all the whole Social Security, Medicare issue I mean, here. the thing you have to remember about Rick Scott, too, this is the same guy who oversaw the largest Medicare fraud in U.S. history, right? You know, and that is, that is relevant, by the way. Uh, I talked to a friend about this history. It's one of these things, and oh, by the way, Medicaid expansion, it wasn't really emphasized in any of the reporting from yesterday. I no. put it in my story, kind of headlined it, because everybody else is talking about Medicare and Social Security. But you mentioned about Rick Scott and, and the fraud, and I say this is more of me talking about how news, when it's kind of old, somehow we don't talk about it as much anymore. Yeah. That's still relevant. When Rick Scott runs for re-election next year, that should still be very much mentioned. That's part of his his legacy. If On you top will. of that, last year during the during the pandemic, gutted Florida's employment system, right? At, like before that. When oh, was, right. When he was governor, in terms right. of it became so hard and when then people trying to get benefits. And the pandemic also criticized stimulus payments for low-wage workers. Right. So well, he also want, he did, he kind of he's done a Rick, uh, excuse me, a Mitt Romney thing where he believes that quote unquote everybody should have skin in the game, and that means because there's true there's there's a lot of people who don't pay taxes because they don't make enough basically to pay taxes. Um, the the infamous forty seven percent rubber that Mitt Romney th threw out there. So and but my other thing I was going to say about the news being where we it's so old, but it doesn't mean it's not relevant. Joe Biden mentioned for a few minutes in his 24-minute speech yesterday about Medicaid expansion and how Florida is now one of just 11 states in the country, just 11, who haven't done this since the Affordable Care Act went into a play a decade ago. And 
and he said it was a 1.1 million people who would get insurance if we did have Medicaid expansion. And he also mentioned, these are all facts, this has all been the case since day one, the federal government continues to pay 90% of those costs. So yes, it would cost the state a little bit. By the way, we're, you know, the Governor DeSantis, we've got, you know, record surpluses, what have you. Um, and I just think that's an important issue too, because um, this is, healthcare is obviously one of the, the critical things that, um, well, some people believe that Government shouldn't be involved with that, but of course, Medicare is government sure. involvement, and so is Medicaid. And so, the fact that with the ACA, you could get a million more people in the state—why wouldn't you want to do that? Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was interesting to kind of hear that too. And, and this didn't feel like a—I don't know how it felt to you, but it didn't yeah. feel too much like a campaign thing. The Medicare expansion seems like a um, a, a good thing, right? But right. he also mentioned he, he got back to Medicaid the State of the Union yeah. and, and mentioned you know taxing corporations at a high rate. How is he going to pay for this? Right, and obviously in that room yesterday, as we mentioned before the show started, pretty friendly room. Very friendly room. In fact, a very insider room, okay? Only 100 people roughly were in that room, and they were all affiliated with the Democratic Party, which I guess is, that's their decision to do that. It, you're totally right. It wasn't, it was designed, he comes to the biggest media market in Florida, uh, two days after the State of the Union. I know that it excites Democrats, and it should, because you know the assumption is that 2024 is out of play in terms of being a swing state. And based on what happened last year, that's not a crazy thought. Um, but but again, you want to, I would think if you're a Democratic Party, you want the, the Republican nominee to sweat it out, to work for those uh, 30, was it 30 delegates now they get out here? Um, or 29, uh, 30, I think we have a new con- member of Congress now. But the point is, is that um, Democrats have shown you can win the presidential race without winning Florida. Uh, Republicans have to win it, basically. So it, it behooves, and Again, it could be a Florida man who was the nominee next year. We do not know that yet. Um, by the way, nobody the, the ratings were terrible for the State of the Union. And I guess I get that because um, it used to be kind of in it for a nerd, political nerd kind of thing. used to be kind of hip. Remember, John yeah. Stewart used to do specials when the State of the Union. They don't do that anymore. There's no, there's no, you know, it's like considered. And this was actually the most interesting State of the Union because of the Republicans calling out Joe Biden for being a liar. Yeah, I was tempted to just like get up there and yesterday and be like, you're a liar, man. <laughs> but Biden was actually pretty good. I, I, and, I thought he was good yesterday. Right, right. And, or, but I mean, I, I thought he was good on Tuesday more than he was yesterday. I thought he was so low energy yesterday. But, but Thursday, Tuesday, he was really uh, stimulated by the back and forth, which made State of the Union, which I understand why people would not want to tune in because, again, it's a drag, an hour of like, you know, the State of the Union is great, you know, and everybody, it's just a traditional But this goes back to what you were saying earlier about, uh, I think we're off air, you know, people not really wanting to listen to each other, right? Immediately after State of the Union, you get Sarah Huckabee Sanders immediately going to uh, Twitter or or big tech companies, so to say, teaming up with Democrats to take your freedom of speech, you know, boogeyman stuff. And people want to get on Twitter and see the highlights and, and they want to hear him troll. I mean, yesterday there was even a line in the speech, um, you know, by the speech writer of the beer when he said, if you want to sunset uh, Medicare, Medicaid, if that's your dream, I'm your nightmare. Yeah, that was, like, that was, I think you said this a headline, right? Yeah, yeah, and that was such an interesting uh, It was line. a good line. He, and, he, and he timed that well. Uh, hold this, on, Mitch. Like, yeah. You mentioned like this Florida man who may be uh, the, nominee. Uh, the nominee, Catherine Varn, uh, was talking after as everybody was filing from USA Today and she mentioned he didn't say DeSantis' name once. Right, right, exactly. And and he shouldn't because, well, I mean, I think that uh, he didn't, okay, didn't he, he did reference the fact, he looked at, pointed at Charlie Chris and said, if you had won, um, the Medicaid expansion would have happened, yeah, right? Yeah, he said something like, I don't think you're done yet. 
Yeah, right, for Charlie. Charlie. That was the first time we've seen Charlie, I think, in public since the election uh, that I can recall anyway. This is what I want to ask uh, the, the listeners out there, Democrat, Republican, NPA. So there's an issue here, uh, and it is an issue, and that is should Joe Biden run for re-election, right? Um, because the thought was possibly before the 22 uh, midterm that that was very much up in the air. This is a man who ran as like a transition candidate. Uh, definitely Democrats rallied around him because they wanted to knock out Donald Trump. But he is 80. He is the oldest uh, president in our history. He's going to be 82 when uh, re-election time comes around in a couple years. He would be 86 at the end of his four-year term. Um, and so... But this seemed, the calculus seems to have changed when the Democrats did better than expected in the November election. And now it is a fait accompli that he is going to announce the next few months. I'm asking the listeners out there, is, do you want that? Are you psyched by Joe Biden? Do you love him in the state of the union? Or do you think that um, he's not as robust as he used to be and that it's maybe time and this is, goes for Donald Trump as well, if he would be the candidate. I mean, come on, folks. I mean, the largest group of voters in America now are under 40. Uh, it's the, the combination of Gen Z and uh, millennials. And so uh, I I just don't know that, that a 76 or 78-year-old versus an 82-year-old is what we need in America. Maybe we do. Okay, I'm just throwing it out there. And I'm not the only one, obviously. So what do you think? And this is the thing, though, because obviously Joe Biden announces uh, soon he's going to freeze out the field. And a lot of people might think, okay, well, um, I don't know of any other Democrat who might be ready to run. But if you say that, you're not really – that's fine. But, you know, there's actually a lot of potential candidates out there. They're laying low. They're not going to run against Joe Biden because it would tear the Democratic Party apart. But I'm talking about a lot of governors out there right now. Um, Gavin Newsom obviously comes to mind, although I think he might be too far – perceived too far to the left to win a a national election. But nevertheless, he – Gavin Newsom stood out last summer, if you recall, when Ron DeSantis was doing – I don't know what now that was like at the time the – Rage of the month. But if you recall, he ran some ads here in Florida. It was kind of, you know, Republicans were like laughing. They thought it was ridiculous. I thought it was interesting because I think Joe Biden, what I think Biden at times has had a problem being a strong communicator. And it seemed at that point, Gavin Newsom came out and said, like, somebody's got to start talking some stuff to this guy down in Florida. And Newsom started running ads. He's just a high-profile person, but there's obviously other people. The governor yeah. of Michigan, which Gretchen Whitmer, governor of uh, uh, Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, governor of Colorado, Jared Paulus, the people who ran in 2020, such as Senators Cory Booker or uh, Amy Klobuchar. There are a lot of Democrats out there who could be viable. Pete Buttigieg, of course, the, uh, now the transportation secretary. Um, I don't know. The phone what number, you, by the way, if yeah. you want to call in, it's uh, 813 813- Two three nine nine six six three. We're taking emails at dj at wmnf.org. You can even text us if that's your style. 813-433-0885. So the phone number 813-239-9663 uh, to join this conversation Excuse if you me. want. Yeah, Dave Thompson writes in. Uh, Dave says, uh, please say run somebody against Rick Scott Skeletor, quote unquote. <laughs> uh, but this is interesting. You know, again, where the Democratic Party is right now. And now I think one name I do hear because the Democrats have like so small of a bench. So when the Rick Scott announced a couple weeks ago he's officially running for re-election. And I, by the way, going back to this 12-point plan, I, I, this was, I think, a call for attention that Rick Scott – 
really wanted to run for president. And he really can't, at least right now. I mean, he could, but he can't, right? The timing is such that with two other Florida men ahead of him, it's not his time. But Rick Scott has never been one to be denied and told what he can or can't do. And I go back to giving him credit when he ran in 2010 against uh, incumbent Bill McCollum for governor of Florida. A lot of the Republican Party was like, who the heck is this guy? And they didn't trust him, and they didn't know anything about him. And that was the year of the Tea Party, and Rick Scott was what more of the flavor of what people wanted at the time in the Republican ranks. And it wasn't Bill McCollum. who was kind of a, a guy who had been around a long time. And Rick Scott has consistently been underrated and has won um, by spending tons of money. And he's won by one point, one and a half points, or in the case a couple years ago, point, two point, you know, less than a half a point against uh Bill Nelson, but um, but he's not going to be able to run for president, not this time around because of the cycle. So he put himself out there. He ran the Republican race. So I think Rick Scott, in a way, enjoys this, you know, because everybody's talking about him. <laughs> I think he hit it on the head. Yeah, I, th- I think he probably likes the attention, although I think, you know, anything's possible in this political climate. And, and if he continues to stumble and maybe... Uh, you know, rub other Republicans in the party the wrong way or put them in these difficult positions where Joe Biden's out here <laughs> running pamphlets at, at rallies and then coming up with all these pull quotes, then I don't know, you know, what's going to change for him. All right. So I think we've got some phone callers right now. So let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to uh, Dave in Tampa. Hey, good morning. Hey there. Hey, Dave. Hey, listen, uh, on Biden, number one, he's 80. Yeah. Um, but he's also competent, and that's what this country needs right now. I mean, I'm all the names you mentioned as Democratic presidential co- candidates. It'd be great to see them run. But I, I get tired of people talking about Joe Biden's age. Um, I mean, they've got plenty of boneheads in their 40s and 50s and 60s out there. Does that make them better than a guy who's 80, who has experience and, and still appears to be competent and has its faculties? I don't see anything related to his age that suggests He's somehow losing it. Yeah, he, he was that quiet. Up. That's one thing. But age by itself is not a negative. He's got a lot of experience. And the fact that he got anything done in the last Congress, to me, is to his credit. He certainly did. I mean, there's no question about that. Uh, he has, even if he does nothing in the next two years substantial, which he probably won't with divided Congress, yeah, some major, that infrastructure bill, right, has been, uh, they've been trying to do that for a decade. It's true. And, and yes. Yeah. Yeah, thanks real life call, Dave. I think it's the same way. One I think other thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. On, on Social Security. Yeah. Nobody ever talks about this. They stopped taxing at $160,200. Right. Just bump that up. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm so sick of hearing about that program being insolvent when all you need to do is tax people who have all the money a little bit more, then they're never going to miss it. Why don't you double that take, or take it up to $500,000? That'll take care of it. You know, you're right. And I've heard that discussed for 20 years. And right. it, has, it goes no. And, and you, But right. Maybe now that there's the time to really get serious about that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I, Dave. I mean, if some Democrats yeah. get their act together and start talking about that. You know, I mean, that that's part of the problem with the Democratic parties. They don't ever seem to be able to figure out what chord to hit. Yeah, certainly that's the issue here in Ford to some extent. Dave, really appreciate your phone <laughs> Thanks, call. Dave. Uh, again, if you're just tuning in right now, we're talking about Joe Biden, who, of course, was here in Tampa yesterday for his uh, speech about health care, essentially, here uh, in Florida, really hitting the, the mark here in terms of uh, this audience here. But also, we're talking about his presidential ambitions and whether you think he should run for re-election in 2024. Let's go to, uh, let's go to George in Ybor City. Hello. Hey, George. Thanks for calling. Hey, um, Joe, Joe Biden, if you think about 
he got in the White House more of what he didn't do than what he did do. I think he was the least offensive of everybody, so he got in. But look at him now. I think he did a great job. He's good. But forget about the ageism. Let's say there's a lot of people don't want Joe Biden, but who will, who else is there? Who else is close? I don't see anybody close. Do you see someone who's close? Well, right. If you look at polls, I mean, there, there, there's really not there's been a tiny bit of polling, but because, you know, if, uh, nobody's running or even thinking about running. So uh, I mentioned some of those names a few minutes ago. Uh, I think there's a lot of, you know, uh, viable people who could go. I guess the first person you have to think about and it's just terrible, right? We ignore her. I did. Vice President Kamala Harris, who n- normally you would think of as immediately as the heir apparent and. For a variety of reasons, yeah, that's not the, the case. Yeah, the question I is. I read some articles oh. about how she's um, kind of a mean person. And she's just, you know, I don't, I don't know where, you know, but I don't know. I mean, I don't like to give air to articles, articles that say so, somebody's mean. You know, it's um. You don't hear anything about her. You, she's just kind of like you don't know. We don't even know. I don't think people know who she is. Yeah, no, that's 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 fair, and and, and that's and that's a problem um, because again, when you talk about. Biden, if you're talking about, okay, maybe he's not the guy, then it's always automatically the who's the, the number two. And um, look, I, we could go into that. There's a, there a lot of negative articles. There was one in the New York Times, I think, in the last week about that. I don't want to get into that right now. Uh, look, I root for her in a way because she's a San Franciscan like myself or a Bay Area. I guess in that respect, it's, it's I've never seen somebody from my area rise so far up. But um, oh, I yeah. like her. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't think uh, enough other people do. Right, right. Yeah, and but I mean, but, but there's others though. For, we, you know, you know. And also, let's say we found somebody who's going to replace Joe Biden. We got a, a Democrat. Also, it'd be very important who's going to be the second, you know, the VP in that race. So we need two. We got to come up with two people. Well, well again, and again, the VP, the, the the idea of being with Joe Biden, which is always the issue, certainly was even with, you know Ronald Reagan when he ran way back when, because he was the oldest president at that time, and he was sixty nine when he, which is now is young, you know, basically in, in American politics. When you look at uh, you know Bernie Sanders and Nancy Pelosi and, and so many others who were Donald Trump. Um, I, I think it's strange to even talk about anybody besides Biden running because it's yeah. very clear that it, that it's going to be him. And yeah. then, then we have yeah. to get into the mechanisms of how and the weird, ugly politics um, of that. And, and to the caller's point, it is sad that we don't get enough stories about Kamala Harris and we're reading ones about how she's mean, right? I mean, how I'm just going to say it, it's misogynistic, you know, to put out headlines like that. And, and uh, we, sh- we shouldn't be talking about uh, people like that, especially. I th- I th- uh, and I'm not I'm not calling you that, Dave, at, at all, by the way. Um, don't take offense to that. I, I'm not that's not an attack on you. But yeah, like not. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't like to think about anybody besides Joe Biden running because it's so very clear. So, uh, you know, to me, I'd rather well, talk I, about I, what's it going to take. Well, I I do want to talk because I think that um, <laughs> there's still a year and a half before the election. And, the, and I think that, um, look, OK, I'm just and Joe Biden was asked about this the other day. Thank you so much for the call. Yeah, George. I really appreciate it. Um, because Washington, there's been two polls that came out this week. OK, poll. Some people say they don't believe him. In fact, Joe Biden said he didn't believe it. That said, in both cases of Democratic voters, less than 40 percent of Democratic voters right. said they did not want him to run. That's why I think this is worth a uh, discussion. But I hear you, uh, Ray Roa. I hear you because uh, certainly the people in that room and people I know, they don't want to talk about it. They're like, no, no, Joe's the guy. And like, you know, and again, his whole MO has been, I want Trump again if it's going to be against Trump. 
but it very well may not be Donald J. Trump. And, right. uh, you know, and, and, and that presents a whole different dynamic. Um, it's not going to be 2020 again. And, you know, um, but as, as it turns, anyway, we, let's, no, it, it, it's going to yeah. be interesting. I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think I'm 38 years old, right? Um, I don't feel compelled to vote for Joe Biden, you know, to Dave's point. I, I think I voted for him. I, I did vote for him, but I think I did because he, he was just the other option, right? Like I was going to do that. Who inspires me? I don't. I don't know. There's anybody yeah. out there. Well, you, that, you were not a Bernie. But then again, Bernie Sanders. By the time, if you remember, 2020 because of coronavirus. Um, by the time we voted in March, yeah. that was frankly right when we were shutting down. I remember covering the election night in Clearwater yeah. when Mayor Frank Hibbard got elected, and um, we had our primary that night, and basically. It was already over because Joe Biden had won South Carolina, and then the Democrats had jumped, dropped out. Bernie was still running, and then and then and then it was like, uh, let's just end this thing quickly because we got a Democrats thought yeah, we got to run against Trump, and there was no real contested primary. It didn't really go that far. But I mean, how much if there was like a more progressive candidate that came out? Right, like it was really impressive to to hear Joe Biden stick to his bipartisanship thing and actually prove that 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 he's done that but i know that people you know more progressive people will, will hear the word bipartisanship and think gosh every time we try to be quote unquote bipartisan we end up with watered watered down you know legislation that doesn't do exactly well, what well republicans that their their mo and i don't know if this is accurate well i'm not going to interpret it but is that uh, Joe Biden ran as a guy who would bring us together, and he has gone to the quote unquote far left. He's dark Brandon now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that comp. All right, let's go to uh, Fran. Oh, Fran, hey, uh, good to hear you on the show here. Good morning. Oh, oh, hello. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you got a little buzz in your phone here. So, uh, but anyway, yes, Fran, great, great to hear from you. What, what do you want to talk about? Oh, thank you. Uh, yes, uh, I, uh, I'm a, a senior on a fixed income, and. Um, I was very happy to uh, hear what Joe Biden had to say to, about Rick Scott, and he just went and hung that albatross right around Rick Scott's neck. I would love to see Rick Scott go. He has just treated this state like his private piggy bank. All the things he's done, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, uh, the Medicaid fraud. What about some of the other things he's done to Floridians? Uh, making it harder a few years back to get unemployment and different things with wasn't something wasn't there something to do with that sun pass thing uh uh with the with the toll road and and uh so so many things that he has uh, he he is uh second only to donald trump as a grifter florida needs to get rid of him i would just love to see him go and i am so happy with joe biden for what he said in florida to that audience and oh and by the way thank you for another talk show to on wmnf very good to have thanks for the call thank you very much fran let's go uh to another call here we've got oh uh see here is this till this um hello till is that who we got on the phone here from tampa mitch perry yes i challenge any other person to top that speech of the president the other night. Experience and wisdom counts for a lot in this voting block. Watch, look at who voted for this press. I'm not 100% with this press. I'm anti-war. But see who you could pull up to top that hour plus 
minutes of talk. He stayed on point with all the heckling. He was cool as a cucumber. So let's don't be pie in the sky because we don't have another one like him. So let's be realistic. Thank you very much. Thank you Thanks so much for the, the call. call. And that's right. It was an 80-minute speech. I have to admit, I didn't see for every minute of it. I watched all of it. Did you? I could have seen, you know what, to, to the caller's point, I'd like to see Pete Buttigieg go, try, you know, deliver a mock state of the union. I would listen to Pete talk. You know, I have my own issues with, you know, Pete's policies and things like that. But he can talk. Yes, yeah, okay. He's, he's the king. <laughs> but no, Biden did. But again, I, I would just go back, that, that, that back and forth with the Republicans made it entertaining to me, you know, in a way that, uh, I, again, it was only three days ago. Maybe I'll forget about it in two weeks. But um, most of these, uh, the unions, you don't remember, okay? I remember George W. Bush, the uh, Axis of Evil, the line yeah. that I think was written by David Frum, right, in the 2002, 2003 uh, State of the Union. There's a few times there have been some phrases, what have you. Most of them are bores, okay? And it's politics' it's biggest night of the year. Well, like, really? Okay. I thought Tuesday was highly entertaining. And yeah, I yeah. hate to make politics, you know, into this entertainment thing but I, no I, it was you, compelling to watch especially for young people you know i mean like uh you know again i i mentioned the uh, the, the 40 and under vote, which apparently is the biggest block of voters in our culture right now who are more than ever going to npa when they register to vote they're not necessarily it's certainly in here in florida um so that is just the reality there okay so uh let's see okay and so we, it's 11 46 in the morning right now you're listening to the skinny here on wmnf i'm mitch perry from the florida phoenix hope you read our stuff on fortafoenix.com i'm with uh, ray roa from creative loafing cltampa.com our partner uh, Ben Montgomery from Axios not here today. Ben will be back next week. Get better, Ben. Him. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we've got about uh, 15 minutes left to go here, so let's keep on going. We're talking about the uh, State of the Union and Joe Biden in Tampa yesterday. And do you think another Democrat? Well, again, another Democrat could still challenge him, even if he does run. That would probably be very deleterious to the party. The last time we saw them in the Democratic ranks was uh, Ted Kennedy and Jimmy Carter. Uh, that didn't work out well for the Democrats. Don't forget that Ralph Nader's in this thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> Oh, yes, you have to write us here at WMNF. We, 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 yeah. Those of us who were here at the time in 2000, do you remember? Okay, you were, you were how, how old were you when that uh, happened? 2000, I was 15. Yeah, well, I was here at WMNF. It was my first year here, and uh, people were angry at WMNF uh, if, after the day of the election. I don't know if you ever heard that. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not going to go into it now, but yes, because... Um, they were, uh, but that's, you know. I don't know, you, you got to give air, air to people. Right, right? I mean, yes. Ralph Nader got some prominent airtime here, definitely. And, and Ralph Nader is still an, an icon right now uh, in our culture. Okay, let's go to uh, Liz in Tampa. Hi, Liz. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Hi, this is Liz in Tampa. And I just really would like to say two things. One, Kamala Harris is the vice president. Most vice presidents are not out making waves, and it's just the nature of that office. Two, she hasn't been in office long enough to have people be so critical of her. But my main point is I want us all to get off this ageism stuff about Joe Biden. How old is Warren Buffett? 92 years old. Do you hear anybody ask how old he is? No, we call him the oracle of, you know, whatever. So it's not age. It's not the number. It is how someone can function and can conduct themselves. And I think that the State of the Union the other night was um, a masterful performance by an experienced 
politician. And I just think it was great. And I, I'm just really tired. It's mostly men, I hear, say, oh, God, he's so old. Or look, he's saying the wrong word now. And, you know, shut up is what I have to say to all those people. Okay. I think that's fair. All right, thank you, Wiz. Well, I'll, you know, uh, it's not just men. Uh, who was it? Michelle Goldberg wrote a column in the New York Times about this the other day. So it just says yeah, it's probably a, a larger con- conversation about how we view, you know, end of life and finish line types of things well, and the way we talk about older people in the oh, this is an ancient society. Yeah. Trust me. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm much older than you, Ray, and uh, you know, definitely, no, and uh, yeah, actually, um, but uh, you know, so I am very cognizant of that, and I don't, frankly, am worried about that. That, that sounds like you're talking about Joe Biden, though. I, I, I don't. I mean, it's just going to be part of our politics. It was when Ronald Reagan ran mm-hmm. uh, way back when. Um, it was when John McCain ran when he ran against Barack Obama. The age factor. He was 72 if he would have been elected at that time. Joe Biden is 80. Um, there has been t- discussion about cognition issues. I'm sorry. It has been. Now, he was great the other night on the teleprompter. So, you know, no problem yeah, there. It was interesting the other day at UT because there were some young people in there, some kids from the college. And, and it was interesting to see young people hear somebody who would be the age of the grandparent talk about something that's affecting them today and then maybe have to go home and take a ride home and think about well, what about me? I pay into Social Security too, right? Like, it, it was really, it was an interesting mix and it was an interesting speech. It's been a good week for Joe Biden politically. I it think. has been. And again, you know, Rick Scott's been a, a great foil for him. Uh, what's Pinata is the word I'm using. Okay. Barbara, uh, she supports Joe Biden. Okay, Barbara, you're on the air. Hello. Good morning. I want to tell you, I'm very, very proud of Joe Biden and I'm not his age either. I am. The last time someone came to Tampa was, I think, President Obama. We know what happened there. The dark forces are trying to turn Tampa red. And that's a shame because Tampa has always been such a freewheeling, happy, go lucky, you know, city where people love to, you know, communicate and enjoy all the good vibes. So we can't let them turn us red because red is dead and i think joe's doing a fabulous job and i hope god blesses them to a ripe old age thank you very much and it will be interesting to see how partisan politics and and the makeup of the voting block here in tampa and hillsborough county uh, last election and we might get some indications here in the city council race right city council is nonpartisan, but some of these races have become about well, it's things. interesting about that, uh, Ray, because you're right. It's nonpartisan. And then and then again, when it comes to Democrat, there are Democrats and then there are progressive Democrats, right? They're more centrist Democrats. So, you know, it doesn't – ideology is kind of a funky thing in the local election here. But, I mean, bigger picture, Hillsborough County, which has been one of the stronger Democratic-leaning counties in Florida over the last six to eight years – but then it wasn't like basically no place in the state was uh, back in November 2022. Um, but that turned the county commission uh, from uh, blue to red. We now have a Republican county commission. Uh, that had not been the case for many years here. Again, a very depressed uh, turnout last fall here for Democrats overall, basically. Um, uh, by the way, I wanted to see, let's see, we've got a couple of notes here. I wanted to make sure to write this back. Um, 
Oh, I have a friend here who will not listen to WLNF because of the Nader thing, his, his loss, in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But again, I, I, it takes a little while to get into that, and I don't have time. But I would, yeah. you know, definitely some other show we could get into that because I was here, and I remember the day after the election, man, when it was, you know, recount time and 36 days, the insanity of that, which is so incredible, a political story. But, um, yeah, no, people were upset with the station they were calling us. I was here for that. I, I, remember I definitely that. remember the recount, and I remember voting, you know, in, in the next election. And casting a vote for John Kerry and really feeling like, hey, I'm part of this, and then being like, oh, God. Yeah, no, it was an incredible time, certainly, uh, 2000, the 36 days that unfolded there. Okay, uh, let's go to uh, Simon. Hi, Simon. Simon, you're, did I hit you right here? Let's see, I'm sorry. There we go. Simon, you're on the air? Yeah, good morning, Mitch. Hey, it's great to have you back. Um, got a couple of things. I think, in general, with regard to journalism, just a little tidbit. If you look at uh, Charles Krauthammer wrote an article about FDR and that there were officially over 35,000 photographs of FDR and only two showed him in a wheelchair. Mm. Mm. Uh, FDR requ- uh, requested the Secret Service to confiscate any cameras taken of the president. Uh, the reason I mention that is is because the journalists and the editorial departments of newspapers are going to try to shape the narrative, and they're going to try to pull and push the Democratic candidate over the finish line. If you look at the American Presidency Project, which is out in the University of Santa Barbara, two professors did an analysis. In the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton was supported, was endorsed 57 newspapers across the country to a tune of subscribers of 13 million subscribers. Donald Trump had two endorsements from newspapers to a tune of 700,000 endorsements. So you guys are going to shape the narrative. And it's a little bit disheartening when you think of leadership and you look at someone, with all due respect, as frail as a leader, as Joe Biden is, you can look at Robert Gates' memoir and his critique on uh, Joe Biden's wrong most of the time on foreign policy. Right, but that didn't have anything, that's just, you know, uh, I, policy disagreements. Okay, I get it. But, but the, the point is going to be that the journalists are going are to attempt, and they'll, they will try to shape the narrative. And I'll leave you with this. It's very hard to compete against Santa Claus. Um, yeah. Okay. Thanks for the call. Um, yeah, it's great to hear from you, Simon. I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's good to know people are still reading the news and things like that. And, um, well, Simon's right in terms of the, the influence that the, the mainstream media, although it's less now because there's way more outlets back in the day of FDR uh, for sure, or even JFK, right? Infamously, we knew that JFK had all these affairs that nobody knew about the press knew about, they didn't report about it Mm as a very different time. Um, in terms of endor- uh, newspaper editorial endorsements, well, there is that line, right, theoretically, between the editorial and the reporting. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the media is, is, is crucial. And by the way, you know, the media's got really, you know, negative marks these days, uh, along with Congress. They're both got, got trusted sources. Depends, I guess, where you get your, yeah, your information. Yeah, and I think, I think that's the main distinction that we should, we should harp on here is that there is a big line there in the sand between editorial and who's making these endorsements and the reporters out there doing the work and doing the fact-checking, holding the power accountable. And, and um, I mean, I, I could speak for my newsroom and maybe for yours. I don't think we ever think about suppressing things in favor of tilting 
yeah. it one way or, or one that my outlet There's, is maybe a little bit more biased than than others and we wear that on our sleeve but i think we're still pretty fair and, and balanced and yours even more so well i think that um whether you're you know more than media in a way has gotten to where it used to be right where in terms of like there are like um whether it's on a national level like the conservative like national review or, or um you know and then progressive mother jones or creative loafing uh but the reporting is still as long as that's you know, factual then people can you know make up their own mind whether the stance is on top there um that's a little more upfront than, say, the, the considered neutral sources. I think if more people knew how much stuff gets told to us, it never even gets considered for a news story. I think that would be a huge deal. Yeah, but. yeah, right. You want and you want to you want to print the facts, definitely. Um, okay, uh, Clay is on the uh, on the air here. Clay, good morning. Greetings, gentlemen. How are you? Hey, Clay. Hey, Clay. So um, I really wanted to go back to Social Security for something and give you a very short history lesson that concerns Social Security. And that is, in the beginning, Social Security was bringing in much more money than it was paying out. And the U.S. Congress decided that those monies had to be invested in U.S. Treasury bonds. And that's what they were directed to do. Any surplus every year that was left over went into U.S. Treasury bonds. Now, nobody seems to ever want to talk about this from either party. And there's a reason. There's two point six trillion dollars in U.S. Treasury bonds of Social Security money. They don't want to have to pay any of those bonds off. Social Security is solvent and will remain solvent as long as we access the monies in the Treasury bonds. Okay, okay thanks for the call. Thank you, Clay. Uh, and let's go to one more caller. We have to say goodbye. Monica has been waiting patiently here. Hi, Monica. Oh, hey. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, you're, you're on the air. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. So I know really quick, I just kind of want to make a comment um, in response to, I think her name was Pam, who just called in, talked about ageism. Um, so I'm, I'm young, I guess. I'm 31, and I've been involved in, you know, some form of politics since I was 25. And ageism works the other way, too. I've had many, many, many people tell me that they have been involved in politics longer than I've been alive, and therefore my voice shouldn't matter enough, mm. or I don't know what I'm doing, or my perspective surely couldn't have enough experience. Um, and so, you know, I think that there, that, that, that caller could maybe think about the other way, too. We have a young generation coming into power, and a lot of them are, are coming, they're trying to come into power, or trying to get their voice heard, and, people, and they're being told to kind of just shut up and sit out and let the adults take care of it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think that's such a valid point, and that's why I kept on emphasizing that the, 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 the voters 40 and under. Those are my favorite moments so when the pundits go, well, look at the numbers on the voting, and, and that demographic, that age group, uh, is going to be the difference. Yeah, so we'll see. Thanks so much for the show. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, we'll just leave it there. So, Ray, so interesting. I mean, I'm not surprised from the MNF listenership uh, that uh, they're strongly behind Joe Biden. And I'm not surprised, um, you know, that there's a reaction to, you know, uh, taking offense to saying the man is 80 and and maybe he's too old to run. Um, But I'm just, you know, I think these questions are out there. They need to be asked. But what you said earlier is probably accurate in terms of he is going now. This is something that wasn't certain a couple months ago. It's pretty much certain now that he is going to go all the way and run in 2024. So the Dems are going to line up behind him for the most part, I suspect, obviously. Um, nobody's going to really challenge him for the primary. Uh, so whether it's going to, we don't know who the Republican is going to be, obviously, and we 
don't want to know. I mean, there's a year to go before the first primary, you know. But I do. I think this is, you know, uh, him coming here. And by the way, Kamala Harris was in Tallahassee on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Um, and so... I'm just saying they're they're paying attention to Florida though. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week here, uh, 11 a.m., 12 noon. You've been listening to the Skinny here on WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. Mitch, have a great weekend. You too, Ray. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs>